Absolutely. And I love getting those notifications. We'll get an email notification of a new move in and I haven't had a phone call or anything. They've done everything through our website because we did make sure to optimize all that where they can reserve, pay, um, the system automatically sends them all the lease documents for e-signature, and I just get an email notification of a new move-in. I'm Neil. And I'm Brittany. We are a family on a journey towards financial and location independence. Each week, we interview successful real estate entrepreneurs about their chosen investment strategy and rate it based on how much money it took to get started, how long it took to educate themselves, how passive it is, and whether or not they could do it from anywhere in the world. Welcome to the Road to Family Freedom. Before we begin this week's show, I'd like to make you an offer, a free 30-minute call with me. We've been doing weekly chats with other real estate investors for months now, and the response has been great, but we're going to change things up a bit and focus. We are buying self-storage facilities. We have a great partner in North Carolina with a great track record of success, a background in construction, and we're partnering up to help him expand his portfolio. If you have an interest in learning more about investing in self-storage, on the active side, on the passive side, whatever your level of interest, we want to talk to you. There's no pitch here. We're not selling a coaching program. This is just a chance for us to network with other investors interested in self-storage. Also, if you're a current self-storage owner, we'd love to chat with you and perhaps have you as a guest on our show. If all that sounds like something you'd be interested in, go to roadtofamilyfreedom.com slash self-storage call and schedule a call there. I look forward to speaking with you. All right, enough out of us. Let's hit the road to family freedom. Greetings, friends and families. I'm Neil. And I'm Brittany. And you're listening to The Road to Family Freedom. Our guest this week is a classically trained musician turned real estate investor. After seven years as a residential real estate investor, she's made a pivot into self-storage and other affordable lifestyle and leisure assets as the co-founder of Hearthfire Holdings. Corinne Altamare, welcome to The Road to Family Freedom. Neil, Brittany, thank you very much for having me. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, so talk to us about your journey into real estate investing? Sure. So I started, as you were very gracious to kind of intro, (laughs) uh, I started in music. And the reason why I talk about that is because real estate investors are of so many different types and flavors and stripes. And I did not come to it intentionally at all. I kind of bumbled into it because I was pursuing my passions and I needed a source of passive income. And once I got into it and learned what could be accomplished with it, I really caught the real estate investing bug. So I talk about that, not expecting to meet many other opera singers in the world (laughs) of real estate investing. If I do, fantastic. We can share war stories. Um, But I talk about that because we all have our own journeys and our own backgrounds. And I'm finding more and more, especially in the realm of property management, because we manage our own portfolio of around 60 doors mixed between residential and commercial. And then also in investor relations, which is what I very heavily got into once we started syndicating, all of my previous experience in music and in the arts, learning how to work with very different types of people, very challenging, very demanding types of people, that all translated into real estate. And I never would have expected any of my music background or training to do so, but it did. So I talk about that just so that listeners 
and followers can can maybe find something to relate to there. Gotcha. You know, I um, in a previous life, I was uh, an actor and uh, I I wish that I had discovered real estate back then. I would probably still be an actor. Of course, I probably wouldn't also would not have met my wife. So, uh, <laughs> you know, life turns out the way uh, it does for a reason. But, you know, I tell people uh, when they tell me, you know, hey, I want to be my my kid wants to be an actor. What should I tell them uh, or a performer, any kind of a performer where where the income is going to be a challenge? You know, it's not guaranteed and, and it's going to be sparse. And and I always now just tell them, listen, tell them to learn how to do real estate, um, you know, and try to find out a way to create passive income so that you don't need that job in order to do it because it's very difficult as a performer to be to be basically always in need of a paycheck and having to compromise in order to do that and if you can get to yes. the point where you don't have to compromise in order to do that you'll have a much happier life as a performer right you can do it just purely out of the passion and yes. that's that's exactly where i found myself and i was very lucky that my parents who both were entrepreneurs themselves put me to work early in their own businesses. My father had a private law practice. So he put me to work early on in his office so that I at least had another set of skills to fall back upon and also learned how to think both ways, right? As a as an artist and, and more in that sort of field. And then also understanding how an office needed to be run, how to interact with clients or with uh, the judges or other fellow lawyers or the courthouse and what have you. So I'm very much indebted to my upbringing in that perspective that they always made sure that I was very balanced, even as they allowed me to pursue my dreams. Gotcha. So um, I don't want to dig too deep into your re- your previous portfolio. Our focus is going to be here on self-storage, but uh, you've got 60 doors. When did you start buying those, uh, those properties? 2012. I purchased my first triplex in the Philadelphia neighborhood in a gentrifying neighborhood that's now called Francisville. And um, it was a triplex that I purchased for $373,000. I put down 25%. And where I came up with that down payment was through my whole life insurance policy. I don't know if you've had any other interviewers talk about that. But again, back to my parents, very lucky that they set that up for me when I was born. And it grew untouched throughout my life. And I had that there to use for my first investment. And by putting more by putting more down, I wasn't sure where my life was going to go at that point. So by putting a, a larger down payment down, that made my my mortgage payments lower and it cash flowed very nicely from the beginning so that I could figure out what I was doing with my life next. Now, did you did you live in it or was it strictly an investment property? I did. I purchased it as an owner occupant. Um, so it came with two uh, tenants in place, which was perfect for me to figure out how to be a landlord. And um, and then I, the unit that I was going to move into needed a little bit of work. So my then boyfriend at the time, um, he and I, we spent our date nights and our free time fixing it up. Um, and then by the end, um, by the time we got everything ready and in good enough shape for me to move in, we were at a point in our relationship where I didn't. Um, so we just placed another tenant and then we bought another triplex together about six months after that. So we were, we were off to the races at that point. 
Gotcha. And you, you mentioned, uh, so you, you have been in residential real estate mostly. You mentioned some, some mixed use or some uh, commercial properties in there as well. Um, the, what, what did that portfolio growth look like? Sure. So uh, the mixed use commercial came in in 2016, and that was a nine unit with three businesses and then six apartments above. Pretty, uh, pretty common in and around Philadelphia where you've got business. Well, not just Philadelphia, but business on the first floor and residences above. Gotcha. Sort of a not a row, not a row house. Uh, no. Gotcha. Okay. Mm -hmm. Gotcha. Uh, it's something it's very, very foreign to us out here on the West Coast. It's just not the kind of thing that you see very often here. So so I'm originally from Los Angeles. And yes, learning Philadelphia and all of that, I spent a solid year um, looking at properties and neighborhoods and learning the new lingo of row homes and, and all the different architecture out here. Because yes, coming from West Coast, things were very different. And the neighborhoods change very quickly around corners and blocks. So I spent a year getting to know that to make sure that I was investing in the right area within what I could still afford. <laughs> yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. Gotcha. Nice. Um, so what led you to pivot from those residential and commercial mixed use um, properties into a self-storage property? Really the market and our assessment of the market and our our growth. So we started in multifamily because that was just the most approachable for us. Um, and then the first few purchases were my now husband and business partner and I personally. Um, and then with everything that we were learning and experiencing, we started talking it up to our friends and family and sharing um, just all the fantastic returns that we were getting, starting to educate um particularly our Philadelphia network about the joys of real estate investing. And so we started syndicating with family and very close friends in that small multifamily mixed use commercial space. And we acquired very heavily 2014, 15, um, by 2016 things had, so we had acquired at the commercial, but then otherwise we kind of backed off our acquisitions because the numbers and the market in multifamily was getting so far overheated. Um, so we reassessed. And while we had originally purchased everything from a long-term buy and hold perspective, when we ran the numbers and saw what we could give back to our investors by selling then uh, or close to the top of a, of a very overheated, very overextended market, we said, you know, we, we, we have to adjust our strategy here and sell and recoup those gains and, and recapitalize them into something larger. Because by then we had learned enough by hustling and being boots on the ground, managing all of these smaller properties to say, well, we really need to consolidate into something larger, achieve economies of scale. Um, and we had built up enough confidence by that point to know that we could make that shift. So within the market, not being able to find any multifamily that met our criteria that would deliver to our to ourselves and our investors the sorts of returns that we were looking for, we started looking outside of multifamily and became aware of self-storage. Um, so we sold our smaller multifamily syndications 2017 and 2018. 
And then 2019, we acquired a 35,000 square foot self-storage facility in Lancaster County. It's about an hour and a half from us. So again, we approached that with the perspective that we, as the general partners, would also be the asset managers. We would be the boots on the ground. We wanted something that was local, especially because this was a new asset for us. We wanted to be able to keep our eyes and ears and hands on it and have it be somewhere um, very easy for us to get to. So that's how we made the shift. We spent a solid 18 months prior before we successfully closed in 2019 bidding on other listings, developing relationships with brokers that were just niche in that market, building up those relationships so that we could be on their list as far as pocket listings or at least have a have a pre-existing relationship when the next one when the next offering came out so that so that our offer would at least get responded to, right? Yeah. So that's how we made the shift from from opera to multifamily to self-storage <laughs> uh, within 10 years. Awesome. <laughs> gotcha. I love it. And was your husband in opera as well? No, he was not. Okay. <laughs> he is a, he is an IT um, nerd to the core. He's a ones <laughs> and zeros guy. He spent uh, 20 years in technology, starting from breaking and building his own computers. And then uh, we met at our day jobs and, um, I was hunting for my first investment property and dragged him along on all of the terrible, <laughs> terrible properties that I was looking through. Um, and I just got him hooked in with me. That's awesome. So he has been the powerhouse behind all of the technology and operational efficiencies that we've introduced into everything that we do. Um, I was a project manager and then he was in IT. When I met him, he was a little bit higher up. And so he was actually an enterprise architect building plan system wide. Um, but so through our experience in the day jobs, myself and project management and him and IT, we from the very beginning from just the first triplex managing two sets of tenants, we threw a lot of technology at how we did things. All of our tenants paid electronically online and, and, and automated processes from the get go, because we both were holding down our full time day jobs. I didn't have time to go be knocking on people's doors. And I didn't I didn't want to either as a female in an urban city, I don't want to be having those sorts of interactions with my tenants. Yeah. Yeah. So we well, established it, that um, presence. Yeah. Well, I mean, it really, you know, we often talk to people who have built large residential portfolios and the biggest issue is just scale. Uh, I mean, mm -hmm. it really, really gets difficult to scale once you, once you start getting up above even 20 properties. So I, I applaud you for even being able to manage 60, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, but you really have to, it, it, it absolutely becomes imperative that you are establishing systems and processes that remove you or limit your interaction with, um, working in the business, you know, right. and if you're still the kind of landlord who's, uh, taking check, you know, picking up checks and getting, you know, getting your mailbox money, uh, you know, and taking calls and dealing with all that, you're, you're going to run yourself ragged in a hurry. Um, yep. Yeah. No interest in that at all from the yeah. get go. And it was a hefty price tag to look at, you know, at first for investing in those software systems, but for where we, uh, wanted to go and for what we had to accommodate within our lifestyles, it was worth it. Gotcha. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, um, 
you bought that first facility in 2019. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was 30, 35,000 square feet. Uh, what, uh, how much did you buy it for? Do you recall? Oh, so that one, we, it was a $2 million all in purchase price, but we financed 25. We, we put down 25% and then we capitalized the rest. We had a, a great local lender actually that was very eager to get into this asset class. Um, so we actually got better terms than we had originally estimated. Um, and they've been fantastic to work with. And they know that we're going to continue to acquire going forward and want to continue working with us in that regard. Gotcha. And was the 25% down payment from your sort of family and friends syndication, you were able to roll that into that purchase or was it all your capital? It was, it was a syndicate purchase. So our company served as the general partner and then our investors were all limited partners to the amount that they invested. Our minimum buy-in for that one was 25,000. And I think we have a total of, I want to say 15 investors in that project. Um, and I, I don't I don't mean to get technical, you know, SEC, no, all, right. all that. Was it uh, was it a reg reg B or reg C? Did you have do you have sophisticated investors or is it all accredited? We have sophisticated and accredited. Gotcha. So, so I think five or six. Now, most of the investors, I will say, had been with us through at least one previous investment with the smaller multifamily. So most of them had been with us since 2014, which was our first syndication. Gotcha. And did you guys, did you and your husband invest in the deal personally as well? Absolutely. We always do. Gotcha. And how much, you mind me asking how much? Uh, At least the minimum. And then we keep an eye on what the investor commitment is um, to make sure that we're closely matching even our, our highest investors because again, we feel very strongly about not only eating your own dog food first, um, <laughs> but being in the journey with our investors. So we don't do as many projects as some other syndicators out there, um, but we that is because we take particular care in each project that we do. And because we take a lot of pride in being hands-on and being in it with all the rest of our investors. So we time and pace our, our projects accordingly. Gotcha. Okay. No, I, I'm, we're big believers as well as investing your own capital in syndications. And we won't, uh, we would never personally invest with a, a sponsor that is not putting some of their own money, own their own capital into a deal as well. It just shows an alignment of Absolutely. interest and skin in the game, as we like yeah. to say. Yeah. So we're going to mm-hmm. take a risk. You get to take it along with us. Yeah. Yep. So what did the facility mm-hmm. um, look like and operate when you bought it? Was it was there any room for value add with adding um, square footage or was it landlocked? Okay, so the offering mem- memorandum stated that there was room for adding more. We learned based on interactions with the uh, with the township that, Probably that wouldn't actually fly. Um, So what we did, but it was a fantastic opportunity because this facility, and it's a great story. It's in the the heart of Amish country, Pennsylvania. We're surrounded by um, the Amish and Mennonites, and and it's just such great ambiance coming out there from the city. Um, And so the facility was originally a train depot, and the front 
double story red brick building was where people even to this day come in and they say, oh, I remember my aunt or uncle sitting here waiting for the train to come by. That's right. Cool. So there's some really cool historical ties in with the immediate community. Um, the father and son took over operating it as a potato distributor and then converted it into self-storage in the mid 80s. And so they added your more traditional one level drive up um, storage facility in the rear of the property, keeping the existing front red brick building and converting the second floor into storage units as well. Um, so the father originally operated it, the son stepped in you know, as he grew into adulthood. And then the the son was operating it with his wife since the mid 80s, 90s or so. Um, and it was all completely paper-based. Mm -hmm. He had these beautiful handwritten ledgers in incredibly artistic uh, calligraphy <laughs> almost, right? <Wow. laughs> just, just completely old school. Um, and so that was exactly what we were looking for because we we're like, fantastic. We can just throw technology at this thing. Um, he had a website, but he didn't know how to get to it himself. He didn't quite, he could never get a hold of whoever was managing his website. Like it was a shame. But um, but the way that he and his wife were operating it, it was good enough for them, right? It was a great business for them for the time that they were operating it. Um, unfortunately, the wife had some health issues, and so they were ready to sell because they wanted to spend as much time together as they might have left. So that was their story. And knowing a little bit of that, because this was an on-market listing and we had um, made offers on other listings by the same broker previously. So he filled us in on some of the background. Knowing all of that with our offer, we included a cover letter talking about ourselves as a husband wife team and the fact that the bulk of our investors are family and that we're investing, yes, through a syndicate, but it's all our family and our close network because we're looking to build generational wealth for everyone that we're working with. And I truly believe that that, that cover letter and us being completely transparent from the get-go helped us win out because of course they had other offers. Tons of people are looking for for self-storage right yeah. now. Um, but by us putting that personal approach through our initial interaction with the seller, we were able to be the accepted bid and successfully close. And we even were able to go out to the facility and have a few hands-on working sessions with the seller to see how they were running it and start building that relationship with the tenants because the existing customers had only known one operator for so many years. Um, so that really helped make the transition seamless from that perspective. Um, and then, and those were, so those were some of the things that we were looking for as far as why it was the perfect acquisition for us. It was the fact that there was none of that technology presence, nothing online. There was no automated bill pay. There was, there was no real website where you could just, just take all of those operations and really take the manual aspect out of it and really absolutely maximize your bottom line. So that's what made it really, really, really key acquisition for us. Yeah. Um, do you recall what the occupancy was when you guys took it over? It was economic occupancy. It was 68%. You know, it's one of the, the wonderful things about self-storage was one of the things that we love is there's so 
many value add opportunities and every every facility is different there's you know you can buy a facility and add square under roof square footage to it you can buy a facility and add climate control to it you can convert uh rv storage you know to under roof storage you can improve efficiencies like you guys are doing just taking a a uh, an operation that was operating not as a business, more as a hobby and improve the efficiencies and, and systems and things like that and, and improve the experience probably for, for the, the, um, the renters as well, you know, who can, who don't have to mail a check in and things like that. Did you get any resistance from, uh, the existing tenants about, you know, well, we didn't do this like in the old days and things like that. Oh, we do. And we still do. <laughs> you know, you just, you take it. Uh, and because all my years and years of managing rental renters up till this point, I've developed a thick enough skin and, and even the complaints there, they're nice enough about the complaining and we explain why, and no, I'm not the new owner. I'm just doing this for the new owner and they need it to operate this way. And, um, there was a fair amount of deferred maintenance as well. So the existing uh, um, tenants, they see the improvements that we're adding. We upgraded the fencing, we upgraded the gate, um, all new lighting, put in security cameras. So uh, we just re-asphalted the entire grounds and that made a huge improvement. So they are seeing what we are working towards and I hope the reasonable ones among them uh, recognize and appreciate that and understand that the way that we operate is all part and parcel of that. Gotcha. How big is the town uh, that it's it sits in? Oh, it's teeny tiny. Um, I would have to look that up. I'm sorry. It's very it's okay. small, but it is seven miles outside of outside of Lancaster, which is a decent sized metro area. Gotcha. Uh, are most of the tenants from the surrounding area that you know of? They are. They're within. So self-storage is a very localized business. Uh, most of our tenants come from within a three to five miles. And there isn't really much competition because it's in very rural area. Um, so there is one competitor that's maybe maybe a mile or so down the road. But otherwise, the rest of the facilities are much closer to downtown Lancaster area. And that's just a completely different market. So we're not even, we're not competing there. Yeah. It, uh, and that's the other thing I love about self-storage is there's all these little micro markets, you know, you think mm -hmm. people think, oh, well, you know, self-storage is, um, it's overbuilt. It's overbuilt. There's too many self-storage facilities. Well, I mean, here in Las Vegas, that may be the case. And in somewhere like Portland or uh, Dallas or Nashville, you know, but you go out into these little smaller markets and there is demand there. And it's just a matter of finding, uh, finding those little nuggets and find out where there is demand. Do you recall um, sort of the due diligence that you guys did to ensure that there was demand there? Um, so we relied, we relied on the offering memorandum. We didn't, um, we didn't look at their pro forma because we don't, um, but we had spent 18 months underwriting and looking at other facilities and within, within a two to three hour radius of where we were. So we were pretty familiar with all of the underwriting criteria and pretty confident with our requirements and our, our assumptions and the numbers that we were plugging in for this project. 
Gotcha. Um, so I want to dig into the weeds a little bit on the technology and operations side. You said when you took over the facility, it was it was operating just with a, a ledger and things like that. Um, talk to us a little bit about that process of uh, converting it over. I assume you're now with electronic records. You've got an electronic management software in place. We do. We do. We ended up implementing SiteLink, which is one of the major um, softwares out there for self-storage. We stood up a website using uh, Storable Storage. And then the new gate that we put in, they had a, a gate with a keypad that you had to manually enter your code. And if for any reason... To get in, right? To open, you had a you had a code. If for any reason you plugged in the wrong number, you had to wait three minutes in order before trying again. And those three minutes can seem like the longest uh, set of minutes in your life when you're standing out under the blazing heat, just counting down. So we put in a new gate and keypad um, through OpenTech uh, Insomniac gate that we can remotely access. So we can open and close the gate with our cell phones from wherever we are. Uh, we get notification. Um, so the, the gate speaks to our to SiteLink, which also speaks to our website. And so those three main components communicate directly together in real time. Um, so at 20 days past due, a tenant's account is immediately, their gate access is immediately locked thanks to uh, rules that we set up in SiteLink. And so we receive notice on our phones through OpenTech whenever there is someone attempting to enter the gate and they're past due and their gate code doesn't work. So we usually will get that notification. And then usually a few minutes later, we'll get an angry phone call from a tenant saying, hey, my code doesn't work. At which point we remind them that rent is due on the first. Um, so those are the three main components. We also implemented with the gate keypad. There is a, an app called Storage Genie. It's Bluetooth enabled. So you don't even have to enter your code on the keypad. Um, the keypad will sense your your phone, your Bluetooth, and your account through Storage Genie, and it will remote open as you approach the gate. So particularly now, as we're being very sensitive about who touches what and how many times, mm -hmm. um, that's been fantastic as well. And then we also just really just maximizing the website for uh, receiving receiving payments through through the website. We set up as many tenants as we can on auto bill um, through having credit cards on file. That was a big shift. Um, and then just maximizing our our online presence for when people plug in self-storage near me, making sure that we show up. We don't invest heavily in marketing otherwise because I think it's Mike Wagner who said self-storage isn't a want, it's a need. You just need to be the first one that they find when they realize they need it. Mm -hmm. um, so otherwise, we just make sure that we show up on basic Google searches. And um, so when we purchased the facility, it was at 68% economic occupancy. After five months, we were at 78%. We were really happy with that. Um, we also implemented rate increases. Most of the rents were far under market. So we did 
Very conservative increases. We don't want to rock the boat too much, uh, but just very conservative. We implemented tenant insurance. Um, for this facility, there wasn't really the opportunity to implement um, truck rentals or anything like that, uh, but we did stand up a merchandise sales, having kind of the basics as far as what you might need when you're storing or moving. We also adjusted the fee structure and moved away from uh, security deposit, which the previous operator was collecting, and then you owe back to the tenant when they move out. Instead, we shifted to just a one-time administrative fee that goes to us and stays with us. Uh, we also adjusted the late fee schedule and actually charged late fees, which the previous operator really didn't. So yeah. those were some of the very, very simple things from a business operations perspective. Self-storage is very straightforward. Um, but all of those shifts that we were able to make led to an annual increase of, of round number $18,000. So if you calculate that at a seven cap, that's $257,000 business value add. That's so awesome. we were pretty happy with that. On top of the cash flow, which is great. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it's, uh, it's obviously, since you're selling merchandise, it's a manned facility. It is a part-time manned facility. And that is something that we, we, I mean, we underwrote for one of those, uh, self-serve kiosks and, um, they're just, they're still very expensive because it's new technology. They're still very expensive. So we didn't end up, um, biting the bullet on that one. We have a part-time, uh, on-site 20 hours a week. Well, although now with COVID not, um, they just, they go, they do daily drive-throughs. Um, but then otherwise we're managing everything remotely. We may or may not eventually go the kiosk route. Um, we'll see the merchandise sales are a nice, are a nice bump in revenue. So if you analyze it from that perspective, um, there's also the, the upsell perspective, right? So if you start with the tenant insurance policy, if the base policy is $12 a month, but depending on your on-site manager, if they say, oh, well, you're storing, you know, your vintage Jaguar here, maybe you want to get the $15 a month policy or those sorts of things. The, the upsell that you get from a person being there, as long as they're well-trained in sales tactics and, and uh, approaches, then it might be worth taking on that salary. Yeah. That's something that I think every every business and every site location has to evaluate based on those specifics. Gotcha. But you don't have a manager. You haven't hired a manager who's sitting there um, 40 hours a week uh, no. manning the facility. No, they're mainly coming no. through and handling turnovers, counting locks, doing overlocks yep. if they have to and things like that. Mm hmm. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, our, um, our partner, our self-storage partner, Eric Hemingway, who we interviewed back on episode, I can't remember, uh, episode 10. Uh, he has a great, he's, he, he had a kiosk in one of his unmanned facilities. Um, but he actually doesn't, um, it's so expensive and he says a lot of people don't end up using it. And, you know, Mike Wagner often talks about, um, you know, everyone's got a kiosk in their pocket. You know, if you've got, you know, if you've got it set Absolutely. up, you know, you've got cell phones in their pockets, everyone's got a smartphone and Eric has the idea and he hasn't implemented it yet. So we'll see. Um, but he's like, why don't we just put a vending machine with locks in, in mm -hmm. the office or wherever, you know, wherever people are, are coming in, you know? And so they don't have to, if they bring their all unlock, that's great. But 
just sell locks. You know, don't, you don't have to have some super expensive kiosk that, you know, it was like an ATM and a vault, you know, it's just do the sign up on their phone and, and buy the lock when they come. Absolutely. And I love getting those notifications we'll get an email notification of a new move in. And I haven't had a phone call or anything. They've done everything through our website because we did make sure to optimize all that where they can reserve, pay. Um, the system automatically sends them all the lease documents for e-signature. And I just get an email notification of a new move in. I'm like, Fantastic. That's great. Mm, that's awesome. <laughs> but absolutely true about all of us having our own kiosk within our phones, especially nowadays. Yep. Yeah. Now, did you, your husband is in IT. Did he build the website or did you guys hire that out? Um, no, it came. So we didn't build it. We, we used a basic framework that came with uh, storable and storage. So we didn't do a custom website. Our, our very, very first website for Hearthfire Holdings, my husband did build. Um, and we've since gotten a new one updated, but yeah, in the very, very, very beginning uh, but for something of this scale, no, we send that out to the professionals and make sure that it integrates very tightly with our management platform. Cause that, that is absolutely, absolutely important. Yeah. What has been the, the biggest frustration for you guys uh, in taking over this facility? Um, adjusting to the, to the Amish, um, network um, and just redeveloping your contacts out there. So it's it's too far for us to send our contractors. It's way out of network for us to send our Philly contractors. And uh, just adjusting to the unique uh, wrinkles of being in an Amish area. Uh, it's it's funny, as, as a woman, they the usually the Amish men are very uncomfortable speaking to me. They will not make eye contact. And I and it's out of a respect thing. I, I understand where it's coming from. Um, so for any sorts of if we needed construction quotes or just looking for new resources out there, it had to go through my husband. And um, they don't answer the phone and they'll maybe call you back in a couple of days. <laughs> so um, we we learned to adjust our timeline for things because we were coming at it from Philly where we just, we go, we hustle, we get it done. Um, and things don't move quite that quickly. So we learned that and had to readjust some of our timelines and some of our expectations. Uh, we were originally planning to, um, the repaving project we were planning to do immediately, but based on the just delay in being able to find uh, asphalt contractors that would respond to our need and get us estimates and and all of that we had to push it out and just completed it last week so we had to wait through all of winter and spring and then covid and then finally construction started back up so we did finally get it done but just about 10 months later than we were originally anticipating um is there any is there sort of is there any sort of a amish version of the teamsters that you're sort of having to deal with uh, no, no, not yet. Okay. There's no Amish <laughs> no. mafia. <laughs> I haven't experienced them. Okay. We're not, you know, we're not huge players in the space. So maybe we just haven't hit their radar yet. <laughs> <laughs> you have them shaking you down for protection. No. <laughs> It'd be a shame if all this stuff went away, you know, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It was a terrible joke. <laughs> <laughs> but is this is the first I can honestly say this is the first time we've we've had uh, a guest on the show who's had to deal with that very unique community 
issue, you know, and that's something that somebody needs, especially if somebody's going into one of these tertiary markets, a very small town, um, these small towns, you know, they don't always like change and they operate on their own way. And, uh, and it's something that you, you know, you should be prepared to face that challenge. All right. They all tell us, you know, know your market, know your market, know your market. And um, I mean, it's true. It's it's very true. And just getting a feel for the local ins and outs. And, and we did. And I think the fact that we are a husband wife team that presents enough uh, variety. So depending on who we interact with, if I need to uh, bounce them to my husband, depending on the communication or if it's if it's an irate tenant, um, then I'm better at letting a very upset person just blow off steam and yell at me for a few minutes and then work through and, and find some sort of remediation for the situation. Nice. Nice. Well, when you um, first started out in when you were looking to get into self-storage, how did you um, start? Like, what did you do to get educated? I'm going to have to credit that to my husband. We had our daughter in 2017. So most of that first year with her for me is a black hole. And (laughs) he was very much running towards self-storage. And I was holding down the fort, managing our residential portfolio so that he could learn and underwrite and go towards self-storage. So Mm -hmm. I can't answer that for you. But, um, But he is very obsessive and falls down all of the internet rabbit holes. Um, and he is a contributor on bigger pockets. So I'm sure he connected with, um, self-storage folks on there, as well as reading every book out there on it, whether it was Mark Helm or Jim Ross or Paul Moore and the Wellings Capital offerings out there. And just, um, he's, he's the numbers person of the two of us. So, analyzing every deal that he could get his hands on while I kept the tiny human alive and kept (laughs) our residential tenants happy. (laughs) Nice. Do you think there's a skill that you um, needed to have to get started with self-storage? I think now again, coming from a completely unqualified background in music, I think my, my biggest skill is adaptability and willingness to just jump in and, and do it and see how it goes and learn through doing. Um, that's, that's me. And that may or may not resonate with your listeners. Uh, but that's been, that's kind of been our MO. I mean, we, from our very, from the very first triplex really just, okay, let's, let's do this. Let's see what it's like landlording. Oh, this is pretty cool. Let's fix this, that, and the other thing. And let's go and buy another one and see how we can do better. And just learning on the job, um, has been so much more for me effective than any book or, or blog or podcast that you can read or listen to or absorb. That's just me. That's, that's my journey. Um, hopefully that resonates with some listeners and that will encourage, um, some to maybe jump in. Of course, of course we did our calculations and we made sure that our risk exposure was covered. Uh, but you learn so much more by just getting in there and doing it. I'm sure that will definitely resonate with someone. Yes. (laughs) Uh, how, uh, how much time would you say your self storage uh, facilities taking you of your time right now these days? How much time, how many hours a week? Oh, specific, oh, to break out the self-storage from everything else that we have going on is, 
is tough. Um, I was estimating with our overall from managing our the rest of our portfolio and our investors and this project and our upcoming project, I was estimating about 60 hours a week all in. Um, but again, that's a property management portfolio. That's a leasing agent, a maintenance guy. That's a GC. We're in the middle of apartment turnover season and a couple flips and, or yeah, a couple flips with apartments that needed upgrades as well as the self-storage facility and looking for our next acquisition. So maybe that sounds like a lot, but we don't have many hobbies right now. (laughs) (laughs) You're doing a lot. Yes. Yes. So that makes Mm -hmm. sense. It's a full-time job and more. So plus, plus keeping a tiny human alive. Those tiny humans, man, they're demanding. So we did, we did both quit our full-time day jobs. I quit in 2016 and he quit in 2017. So up until that point, we were both, this was a nights and weekends sort of thing. Um, And then it's been full time on this ever since. Gotcha. Gotcha. Uh, Well, what's, what's the ultimate goal? I mean, do you guys have an end goal in mind, sort of a destination? We are trying out, I guess, maybe similar to you guys, we are trying out location independence. Mm -hmm. Uh, So we acquired a 29 foot travel trailer in December <laughs> and it is currently in Cape May, New Jersey, uh, which was originally planned for three weeks and we're extending it for six. So we're going to see how that goes and then, and then we'll go from there. So again, I don't have a specific end goal for you, but Uh, my early years in the arts and music, I did a fair amount of traveling. Um, I got sick of doing it by myself. So I want to raise my daughter uh, doing that. And the three of us being able to go and explore the States, if not the world, if airlines and safety (laughs) considerations ever allow us to get back overseas. Um, So we're tiptoeing towards that. I'm just going to say that. We'll see how this summer goes. Gotcha. Um, so far, knock on wood, have Wi-Fi or a hotspot, we can we can manage. And that's thanks to we have boots on the ground now here as far as managing our residential portfolio. That, that job, which was me, uh, we outsourced last year. And so our leasing agent now is going through their first full, full fire round of doing a whole turnover season on their own. And and they're doing a a wonderful job. And it's so nice for me to not be doing that anymore. (laughs) Um, And then similarly, the facility, we've got someone local there handling things when somebody, when a body needs to be there. Um, Otherwise, the uh, security cameras, we can view anytime from our phones and we can manage everything remotely through the systems that we have built in. Fantastic. Well, that sort of answers our last question, which is whether or not this is something you could do from anywhere in the world. So the answer is probably have internet will travel, basically. Probably. Mm -hmm. Probably. I mean, cruise ship for two weeks might be a problem uh, unless you're paying a fortune for the satellite. Yeah. Yeah. We could probably find a really cheap cruise ship right about now. Um, yeah, very true. <laughs> I would very not true. get on it. Yeah, yeah. I'm not sure. No, 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 no. We do a private charter or something. Um, as long as we have, yeah, we're pretty glued to our phones. That, that's, that's a tough thing. Um, 
but as long as we have those, we can do pretty, we can do pretty much everything from there. So have internet will travel. Yes. (laughs) Love it. Do you have any last questions? Nope. Okay. Well, Corinne, thank you so much for sharing with us today. If any of our listeners want to reach out to you, what would be the best way for them to connect? Oh, you can find me. Um, they can email me. I'm sure we'll include that in the notes. Corinne, C-O-R-I-N-N at hfireholdings.com. I'm on Facebook. I'm on LinkedIn. So they can find me in all the normal places. Awesome. All right. Well, thanks again for being part of the show today. Thank you so much, guys. It was a pleasure. Okay, that was Corinne Altamaray from Hearthfire Holdings. Uh, certainly so fun talking to her, and I, yeah. I love geeking out on self-storage. I'm sorry. <laughs> you don't have to apologize, but um, I'm going to let you take the key lesson learned because I disappeared for five minutes, yeah. and uh, yes. Yes. <laughs> I don't know. I Well, I mean, there's ones, but I'm going to let you take that because there's probably some stuff that was learned in there that I missed out on. Gotcha. Um, well, I would say that there's always, there's always in real estate, there's always an individual situation, um, that can make a deal. I mean, so many people, when they talk about real estate, they talk about, Oh, the market is this and the market is that. And, you know, well, you can't do that because the market's doing this. And it's like, well, there's always an individual situation, um, with a specific asset. And in Corinne's specific situation. They bought a facility that had been around for a while. It's in a small community. It was being run by a husband and wife team in a very non-business-like way. I mean, they had literally uh, handwritten ledgers. Yeah. Um, it was only 68% economically occupied. Um, and, you know, so there, there was an opportunity there. And even though they initially bought it, they thought they were going to have room to grow. And that was not the possibility. There was still value add in just coming in and fixing the systems uh, and processes that were not in place already. It's probably a good lesson in and of itself. Systems tend to make things easier, better. Yes. Help either ease your time commitment or help you make more money in almost every niche. So gotcha. Um, there, there's my lesson learned. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Um, money, time, knowledge. What are we doing next? (laughs) All right. So money, uh, they, uh, they invested, she didn't get specific and I didn't want to dig too much, uh, but she She's, said about 25 to 50 grand. Yeah. She said she usually does a minimum of about 25 for, and I think, you know, she's worked with other, she's, she's done the syndication on more than just the storage facility. And so what, what I understood her saying is that she invests, they invest at least the minimum, but they base their numbers sort of on what other people are investing. So if most people are investing 40,000, I'm guessing that they're probably going to get close to that. That, gotcha. that was what I yes. believe she was saying. Yes. And it can get deal specific. I mean, sometimes, yeah. you, you know, you, you end up, you haven't raised enough capital and, and you need to close the deal. So you put some more money of your own in. Yeah. Um, anyway. Um, so time, she, she spends a lot of time on real estate. It's a, it's a full time job for her. Um, but they don't do other things. And it sounds like, you know, they're kind of in the middle of a lot of things right now. They're looking to acquire another property. They're, you know, working, um, on their other properties, investor relations, all those kinds of things. So, um, you know, it sounds like things could go down from there as they outsource more and more. Um, and, but they, 
they are more hands-on in their investments. They're also in growth mode, I would say. Yes. Yeah. So, so that makes it. Gotcha. Uh, knowledge. She, her like critical piece of knowledge was just, was, uh, well, it was kind of like just get in there and learn as you go kind of thing. Um, you know, obviously, yeah, her husband did a lot of research, but to really understand things, they really just hopped in and they felt like that was really important and, um, and was something to, to consider when you're getting started is just hopping in and learning as you go. Yeah. There's only so many books that you can read. And my only caveat would be to hop in to hopefully the shallow end of the pool where there's no <laughs> sharks, uh, learn to yeah. swim a little bit in the shallow end of the pool. Yeah. When um, they did, yeah. I mean, yeah, they, you know, she started with a triplex, yep. like house hack. a house hack. Yeah. And then, you know, so that's start with a, a burr or, you know, if you're going to jump in, it's probably better to jump in with if you're going to jump into something bigger than like jump in with someone and that that's experienced and yep. that will help alleviate the, um, the difference in knowledge and, um, yeah. So, yep. uh, I think we interviewed Aaron, Aaron Helley back on, I, I interviewed Aaron Helley back on episode 36 and she talked about, um, I think it was Aaron Helley and I apologize if I'm getting the person wrong, but she talked about how, you know, everybody comes to the table with either experience, time or money. Mm -hmm. And if you're missing any one of those things, find someone who needs one of those things. Yeah. So if you've got money, but no experience or time, bring the money to the table. Yeah. Uh, if you've got money and, you know, uh, experience, uh, but no time, find somebody who's got time. Yeah. So, that, yeah. that really, so uh, could they do this strategy from anywhere in the world? As long as they have internet. <clears throat> have internet will travel have internet will travel we've yeah. got boots on the ground um they've got systems in place and they just need to be able to check things on their phone yep so okay once again that was corinne altamaray from hearth fire holdings um check her out at uh all the information will be in the show notes but uh, yeah we're doing this awesome. all again next week let's hit the road bye bye hey before you go if you like the show, we would be delighted if you'd head over to Podchaser and leave us an honest review. And do let us know why you like the show, how long you've been listening, and in particular, what you find really useful or entertaining. And let us know if there's anything you think we should change. Also, if you have specific questions about real estate investing, especially self-storage or short-term rentals, shoot us an email at info at roadtofamilyfreedom.com and we'll be happy to answer your question on the show. We might even turn it into an entire episode. Thanks for listening. We're doing this all again next week. Until then, safe travels.